Hey, good morning, everyone. Let there be light, right? Hey, it is so good to see you, Pastor Tim, and good to be on the journey with you as we are moving right along in this world, are we not? Here we are approaching the end of October, and someone was out last night in my neighborhood putting up Christmas lights. I kid you not. And so things are moving right along, but good to hear your laugh, good to see you, and good to be in person. And I'm going to tell you that somebody here today needs Jesus. Somebody here today needs Jesus. This was on my heart Thursday, the Lord in my time of prayer. Somebody here today needs Jesus. And you know, today is the day of salvation. And whatever you're struggling with, whatever's going on in your life, there's a better way. There's a better way. And today you can come to know real hope, have tremendous joy. Have great strength and comfort in your life. Whatever's going on in your life, you can find healing and no hope today in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, after all, what is it that guides you in life? Just stop and think about it. We all need guidance, and so oftentimes, I know when we're in our teens, we don't really like to go to mom and dad, but it seems like when we get older, we go to mom and dad. We want to know and check out somebody that's been there before, we go for guidance. We seek sometimes family friends. Sometimes people are guided by talk show and talk show host. Some people refer to TED Talks. Other people go to all kinds of things out there, reading the blogs. In fact, there's a lot of things out there that people turn to. How about YouTube? Anybody here get a product in the mail and you're not sure, you can't make sense out of the direction, so you YouTube it? I YouTube things a lot, and I'm grateful for YouTube, all right? Uh, you got a problem at your house, or there's an issue with your car, and you turn to that for some guidance. Guidance is essential in this world, is it not? And just when we think that we've got the guidance, just when we think there's a viable solution, it pops on the air, and we hear a great product that just might solve the problem. Then you hear there's fine print. Listen to this clip. Lease offer based on 24 months, 2,500 cap reduction, plus taxes and fees. Dealer retains incentives. OA says CD Dolly Mazda for details. Must be 18 years or over. Enjoy Hennigan responsibly. ID required. Side effects may include loud screaming, jumping up and down, random hugging, uncontrollable laughing, chronic smiling, cousins, aunts and uncles you never knew you had, box seats at every arena, custom choppers, stick dinners for breakfast, permanent vacations, information. I kid you not. You think you've got it, and then they read all the background stuff, and you're like, well, wait a minute. What's going on here? Friends, I'm telling you, in an age of deception... You need some real guidance. It's essential today to have your, your feet firmly grounded. And that's why we're in a sermon series right now where we're pointing people back to something that's tried and true. And that is grounding ourselves in the person of Jesus Christ, planting ourselves firmly in God's word. And today that's what we're going to talk about. You know, if you have the right word and say it in the right way, it is powerful. But in our day, what happens? So many people are verbose and just post and blog away and they say so much. It's just noise in our day. People expressing themselves and I suppose it's some type of cathartic action that people take to try to get it out of themselves. But I want to point you to a biblical worldview today which is where I am going to stand. Even though they say less than 6% of the population now has 
a biblical worldview, I and myself, I am going to stand firmly on what is tried and true and what has transformed my life. And I want to point you today to something that you need to ground yourself in, and that is God's Word. And we're going to turn to that today. Fortunately, God has given us direction. God has provided us real hope. God has given us some leadership, and we call it our manual, His Holy Word. And after all, the Bible is the most read, the best-selling, the most widely distributed, the most translated book of all history. And it's something that does command our attention. And we're going to look at that today. And I want to share a scripture with you out of the New Testament, the writings of Paul, 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 3. And follow along with me, if you will, out of the New Living Translation of the Bible. Here's what it says in the word of the Lord. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith. Paul says, you know my patience, my love, my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconian, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. And Paul continues, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish and they will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know that they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood and that they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Wow. Doesn't that scripture that Paul shared so long ago seem so relevant to our day and our time? And what a word that can really stir us. Now, the scripture that I want to really key on here for just a moment is this one that we find in verse 16. And it says here that all scripture is inspired. Or what it says in the original is it's God breathed. Now what does that mean? Some translations talk about inspiration. But we're not talking about an arousing writer like, you know, uh, Shakespeare or Tabitha Brown or Dick Francis or Stephen Covey or some of these great writers that are inspirational. No, we're talking about something else here that's far different in the original language in that day of what the writers are conveying. And they're telling us that this is God's breath to us. Now, right now, you're listening to the voice of Pastor Tim. And because my voice is breath coming out of my lungs, uh, being controlled, my diaphragm over my vocal cords, and you're hearing that vibration, and you're hearing my voice. It's Pastor Tim's voice. And if I didn't have any breath, I wouldn't have any voice. And so the breath of Pastor Tim is Pastor Tim's voice. And this is what the Bible is for us. It's the Word of God. It's God-breathed. And it's not just 
nice idea, or not just for wonderful thoughts and some fancy blogging that went on back in the first century or some great slogans that we ought to think about, but it is our manual. It's directions. It is the word of the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 119, all of God's commands can be trusted. All of the Bible can be trusted because it is from God. And you know, it's one thing for the Bible to claim it's the word of God and can be trusted, but how do you really know that? How can you really have any kind of certainty, any kind of assurance uh, that the Bible is God's word? And that it's not just a bunch of fairy tales, it's not some folklore, it's not some wonderful myths or wonderful fables that somehow, like some people say, need to be demythologized. But how can you really know? Well, this has been in our culture for years, and you know, Time Magazine more than once has put this question in one way or uh, shape, form, or fashion on their front cover. And one there um, that they used to answer and really address this issue was the question, how true is the Bible? And here, a few years ago, they had another cover, and it said the, the Bible, is it fake or is it true? Fact or is it fiction? And so this morning, I want to address this issue for just a moment on why you can rely on the Bible. Why do you ought to have increasing confidence in your own walk of faith that this is the Word of God and that you need to firmly plant your feet in it and you need to begin to live in it and be nourished by it because it will provide you incredible strength, give you awesome wisdom and guidance for daily living. It will provide you hope and give you tremendous joy. And so you're not just making up your mind based on what you've read from a tweet or what somebody said that's stirring around on Facebook or what someone had shared or what you've heard out in the media or some other place maybe where you work, but it's based on what history, science, archaeology, and so many other disciplines are pointing to these days about the veracity of this Bible. And so I want to focus on just a few reasons here this morning that you ought to go away with some more confidence that the Bible should be relied upon for your walk of faith and your journey through this life. One of the first reasons that I would suggest to you that you very much should be grounded in the Word of God is the Bible is historically accurate. And the scholars in the academy are discovering this more and more every day. It's truly amazing of what's going on out there in the academy as people are turning the scholarship on the Bible and it is just so mesmerizing. The Bible isn't just doctrinally and theologically correct or accurate regarding morals and ethics, but it's true history. We're talking about real people, places, and things here. Now, the Bible says in Psalm 33 and verse 4, the word of the Lord is right and true. And that's not only true and right about salvation, but as it turns out, it's true and right about history. Uh, you know, the Bible is historically accurate by the same way that history is accurate. They do all these kinds of tests today, historians, these good historians, the bibliographic tests. They look at external information. They look at internal evidence. And one way you test good history is it from eyewitness accounts. A good historian would say, is this written down by somebody who saw it first, second, and third hand? Or was it written down by somebody 100 years later that's kind of like 
uh, a lot of the antiquities that's kind of a legend. People embrace all of these other kinds of antiquities that are out there, and it's been hundreds of years later, and they assume that as fact. But we have got a document here that has been shown that it's first and secondhand accounts. These are early testimonies, and they are eyewitnesses. Joshua was there when he saw the walls of Jericho tumble. The disciples were there in the upper room when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. They were there when doubting Thomas placed his hand in the side of Jesus and they were all dumbfounded. This cannot be. No one comes back to life. But they saw Jesus in a glorified body. It defies imagination, I know. But these were first-hand accounts. John was there and he wrote it down. Peter was there and he told a guy by the name of Mark that went and wrote it down. Luke talked to all of them, including the mother of Jesus and the family. He heard about it and wrote it down. And so these are eyewitness accounts of things that happened that people actually saw. Another history test by which we know the Bible is accurate is the extreme care that people went to back in the day to give us the Bible. And if you stop and think about it, this was probably the appropriate time for the Bible to be given to us in the scheme of all history. You may have heard some people say, well, I'm sure it was right when it was first written, but it's been passed down and now it's changed. Some people will use that telephone game, which is totally irrelevant. You know, when somebody gets into the telephone game, they know they don't know what's going on because that was not whispered from person to person, but it was done in community. It was done with all kinds of people. It was done in community. It's not even relevant. And when you hear things like that, you realize they haven't taken time to study. They're kind of ignorant and uneducated on some of this because when you look into this and you begin to investigate what the scholars are doing, when you unleash the scholarship on this, you find there was extreme care in which these documents were handled. And people back in that day had such reverence when they came to the word Yahweh, they would go and dress. They would go and bathe and come back in full ceremonial guilt just to write the word as their handshake and shook that they put the word Yahweh down. Amazing how this text has been preserved and given to us. Old Testament copyists and scribes, when they would copy these scrolls, they would copy like a Xerox machine. And it had to be exact. And they had a long list of rules, hundreds of rules that they had to follow to make sure everything was accurate. And one of the rules was to make sure they copied letter by letter and not word by word. They knew how many alphas and gammas and all the letters of the alphabet there had to be from the beginning to the middle and to the end, and they counted to make sure that it was exceedingly accurate, not just word by word, but letter by letter translation. It's kind of like your phone. You know how your phone does text prediction? I just hate that sometimes. I mean, because I always send a wrong word. It, it anticipates a word that I'm supposed to say, but that's not what the word I wanted to say. And it sends the wrong word to somebody I didn't want to send. And they wanted to make sure that kind of thing didn't happen. And so this is being found out all the time as they have investigated it. They went to all these tests to ensure it was completely copied, all the scribes, and they knew how many letters of the alphabet were in each book. Amazing. Another way of exactness that's been unearthed in recent times, in fact, since 1947, and many of you know the Dead Sea Scrolls. We now have fragments of all the Old Testament with the exception of uh, Esther, and we are finding incredible accuracy 
something like 99.6% plus accuracy. The message is contained. Now, there's a lot, of, a lot of things in there that are gerbil around, but most of the mistakes they find is a misspelled thing or the words are inverted or things of that nature. And so it's an amazing kind of discovery. And another thing is archaeology that supports the historicity of the Bible. Uh, it's a proof of the accuracy of the Bible. You look at archaeology and it proves repeatedly that the places and the people, all the Bible talks about, they are true. It's not fiction. You can go to these places and they've dug them up. In fact, the Areopagus, where Paul was, the theater there in Athens where they had this writer, they have dug that up now. They figured out that's where it's at. The Pool of Siloam, a few years ago, it was discovered where the blind man was healed. It really happened. There's a real place on the planet where you can go. How about Herod's temple? I stood on these very steps. The teaching Jesus that they have discovered. All these places that you find in the Bible have been dug up. So many of these places they can point to now and say, this is where this happened. The book of Acts is all historical accuracy. Luke was a historian and that wonderful physician. He wrote the book of Acts and he talks about 54 cities, 39 countries, nine different islands with complete historical accuracy. And so one of the reasons I want to say to you, you need to really rely on this Bible is the history that this Bible gives to us. But a second reason I want to suggest to you that you really ought to rely on the Bible is the survivability of the Bible. The survivability of the Bible, which makes the Bible the most unusual book in the world. Do you know today that the Bible is the most despised book of all history? It's the most derided. It's the most denied, the most disputed, the most debated, the most dissected, the most destroyed, the most outlawed, the most banned book of all history. It's amazing. Millions of people have died because they refuse to give up the Bible. Think about it. Now, I know in South Korea, it's Bible land. It's Bible land in South Korea. You can take the Bible there. But I understand if you go into North Korea, they'll toss you in jail for it. There's still places on the planet that refuse to embrace the Bible. The Bible has been under attack for centuries by everyone and everything, and yet it's still the most Red book in the Bible, it's the most uh, published, the most translated, the most widely distributed, the best-selling book of all time. And it's still making a difference in the lives of people. And the Bible is the greatest single source of music. It's the greatest single source of art. It's the greatest single source of architecture over the last couple thousand years. I mean, if you take out the Bible out of our life. You've just given up a major portion of music. You've given up a major portion of architecture. You've given up a major portion of art. It's the source of our culture. In fact, if you speak the English language, you do so in large part because of the King James Version. Now, I know some universities like Baylor and others came out in 2011. There was a lot of uh, wonderful things, articles that was published about the King James Version because that was the 400-year history of the King James Version of the Bible. And, you know, about the 400 years ago, they published that King James Version, and the words that we use today, many of the words that we use came out of that book. An amazing thing. The survivability of the Bible. 
Now, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And the only thing on this planet, let's face it, that is going to survive is the word of God because that's eternal. And that's another reason you need to firmly plant your feet in this Bible because after all these years, it's still surviving. And people can leave it. People can turn away from it, call it foolish, say it's miss, all the things they want to do, but the Bible is still with us, and the survivability of the Bible is astonishing. Catch this, Voltaire was the famous French philosopher who was, by all accounts, a very wonderful philosopher. In fact, they said he was one of the most brilliant people of his day, and yet, you know, he was an atheist. Voltaire was an atheist, but yet he was flat-out brilliant. But he was the guy that made the famous statement. He said, a hundred years from today, the Bible will be forgotten. A hundred years from today, no one's going to remember the Bible. He produced track after track mocking the Bible. And everybody's forgotten that quote. After Voltaire died for a hundred years, his homestead, it was bought by the French Bible Society, and they sold Bibles out of the place. For nearly a hundred years. And today I'm told it's a museum. People have forgotten Voltaire, but they certainly haven't forgot the Bible. First Peter says this, chapter 1, The grass wither and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. In other words, the leaves and the blossoms are going to wilt. The leaves are going to fall to the ground. Today's news is worthless for tomorrow, and you know that. Who cares what the temperature was last Thursday? Who cares what was the stock market last Tuesday? The Bible comes to us fresh every day because it's alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And you know, sometimes it's the least said that's the better. It's the most potent. And the Bible has a way of cutting and penetrating, going right to our heart to meet our heart's need. It's given to us fresh daily. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. Now, the bumper sticker out there said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But I want to say to you, you really ought to say, God said it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. Because whether you believe it or not, it is the word of the Lord because it doesn't change at all. Now, I could say today that, you know what, I don't believe in gravity. And, uh, you know, maybe you're a religious person, you believe in this and you believe in that. And I can say, well, you know, I really don't believe in that stuff and I don't believe in gravity. And so I go downtown and I go to that building that we just had up there on the screen, the uh, Great American downtown. And I could just say, I'm going to hop off. And as I hop off that building and I'm really going down at a pretty rapid rate, somebody opens the window at about the 30th floor and says, hey, Tim, how's it going? And I'd say, so far, so good. And I want to say to you, that's exactly what people are doing today. They have jumped off the building and they're going so fast through life. And they just take a little bit here, they hear a little bit there. They're so busy, they can't commit to anything. I'm going to wait till the last minute before I commit because something else might come up. They're listening for this, they're listening for that, they're stirring it all up and they're just free falling through life. And friends, you've got to get your feet planted in the Word of God. You've got to give your life to God.
That's the way most people are living. God gives you the freedom, however, to totally thumb your nose at him, go whatever direction you want to, and when you ignore what God says, you're only going to hurt yourself. These are the directions we have. But let me give you one last reason, and we could go on and on with all kinds of reasons today, but I want to say to you, the Bible has transforming power. Do you realize that? The Bible has such transforming power. Nothing can change the lives of people like the Bible. Millions of people have been changed by the Bible through the years. I've seen people give their life to God and their life has been totally changed. I mean, dozens of people in my ministry that had troubles in their marriages, problems at work, just really upset with life, were just so disinterested, so uh, depressed, so upset, no direction, didn't know what to do, and suddenly they gave their life to God, they planted themselves in the Bible, and it transformed their life. You know, if I thought I could change human behavior by laws, I would become a politician tonight. But I think everybody knows, I have zero faith in all of that. If I could change uh, life with politics, uh, you know, but I have zero faith that any kind of political thing is going to change the greatest problems on the planet. Because you can make all the laws you want to, but it's not going to change the human heart. You can make a law that outlines racism or bigotry or hatred or whatever it is. But no law is going to turn a bigot into a lover. Only the Bible can do that. Only God's Spirit can do that. And I've invested my entire life in the heart-changing business. And I've seen it happen dozens upon dozens of times as people say, you know what, I'm going to give this a try and I'm going to give my attention to God's Word and it revolutionizes lives. It changes people that you never thought could change. John's Gospel says this, if you continue in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You know what's interesting about that? As I go on you know, college campus uh, tours and things like that, I'll find that phrase etched in stone across university campuses. It's an amazing thing. In our academies, we'll find that phrase, the truth will set you free. Now, they don't put the whole phrase on there, but they just put that one, that one phrase on there, the truth will set you free, and it's etched in stone on buildings and different places, monuments, you'll see it from time to time, but they have simply ignored the rest of it. For if you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Friends, I want to say to you today, this book is the book that tells you your life is not an accident. This is the book that tells you that you have got purpose. This is the book that can give you comfort. This is the book that can tell you you can find healing. This is the book that can help you today, regardless of what's going on in your life, it can take a tragedy and turn it into a triumph. It's the book that tells you that. It's a book that says that God loves you. It's the book that says your sins can be forgiven. That anything you've done could be cast in the sea of forgetfulness. If you've got shame in your life, if you've got things that you really feel guilty about, this is the book that says you can get that change. Friends, this is the book that gives you hope. Why would you not want to plant your feet in it? Why would you not want to give your attention to it? Why would you not want to turn to the Word of God, your manual to guide you in life. It is so essential. So I want to challenge you today. You need to do three things. And one thing obvious is you need to get into the Bible. 
you really need to start embracing the Bible. Spend five minutes a day, seven minutes a day, just reading a few verses. And if you do that over time, you will start finding incredible strength. Your life will begin to really transform as you give your life to God. Allow the Spirit of the Lord to come into your life. Another thing you need to do is you need to get with a group of people. You know, right now we're all in this sense where we don't have community. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, I don't have friends like I used to. Everybody's still like really leery about getting out. I'm telling you, you need to get with a group of people that are a nice, wonderful, small group of people to help keep you accountable, to encourage you, to support you. And another thing you need to do today, as I say, is you just need to come to Jesus. And like I say, somebody here today needs Jesus. So I want us to pray right now. And I believe Sean's going to come back and uh, they're going to have one closing song. And as they do, I want to invite you to respond to what Jesus is doing here in our time together. And uh, that you would just come right now today to give your life to God. So let's pray. If you're here today and you just uh, you don't know what to say, what to do, Just join me in this prayer. Oh, Lord, I need you today. Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. I've got pain. I've got hardship. I'm perplexed. I've tried all kinds of things, but I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wrongdoing. And I accept you into my life as Lord of my life. Lord, have right away in my soul, in my heart. May I turn to you and I follow you. And you be my guider and leader in my life. For we pray and ask in Jesus' name these things. Amen.